Recorded live at Podfest Berlin, supported by Wonder Tax. Tax returns made easy. The world might be going to hell in an overheated handbasket, but as long as there's a podcast festival, how bad can things be? Megan and Conrad are joined by Maria Dembinska, Izzy Choksi, and special musical guest Eden Ottingen in front of a live studio audience at the Berlin Potfest to discuss climate grief, Conrad's film, and the delights of bison grass vodka. Nazdorovia. In Berlin's heart, when news is unveiled, Megan and Conrad Eden Ottingen. <laughs> Thank you, Eden. Hello, everyone. It's time for a live Megan's Megacan, which we're really excited about. Thank you so much for coming. I'm Megan. I'm here in the Podfest Berlin in the noisy, noisy rooms. I'm here with Conrad Werner. Hello, Conrad. Hello. Um, and I'm here with also some lovely guests. Can you introduce Izzy? And I'm going to just check that I'm getting everything right. Okay. for introducing Maria. Uh, this is Izzy Choksi. <laughs> Hello. So Izzy is a, an expert in energy and any, the energy, the German energy transition. Mm-hmm. And she works for a an NGO called E3G. Yeah, yeah. And a climate NGO, a climate think tank, yeah. Climate think tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, also a, a semi-regular guest on uh, Megan's Megacan. Every time we want to talk about German climate policy. I do um, like it. It's very... Yeah. Very nice environment that you create. Oh, yeah. Well. That'll be the booze. <laughs> 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 and we also have another guest, first time guest. Hello, Maria. Hi. This is Maria Dubinska, who is a social anthropologist and occasional activist um, of various causes. And you are from Poland. Yes, I'm from Warsaw. I'm based in Berlin right now because I'm a fellow at the Institute for Cultural Inquiry. But I'm also based at the Polish Academy of Sciences. I'm like an academic anthropologist. Okay, okay. And before the pandemic, you were involved with another and a number of climate initiatives in Poland. Right. Okay. Also quite a big day for Poland today. Yes, I spent two hours in the line to vote. Oh, wow. Two hours? Is that, oh. Yeah, they, I think they reduced the number of like voting points. So uh, the lines are quite long. Okay. Um, that's obviously a, a, a topic for a whole other podcast, possibly. Um, and a lot of mega cams. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's time, everyone. Uh, this is usually where we discuss what mega cans we're drinking. We can't do the whole thing. Um, Why not? We can't have everyone. Well, mm. we want to go through every mega can in the room. Oh, no, I mean, that's my dream, but then we're done. <laughs> then there's there's no talking about climate after that. That's okay. just the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, we did do that once. We it got was messy. The best <laughs> podcast. Yeah. It was it was my dream. Okay. All right, but I do have to I want to talk about yours because we mentioned this oh, yeah. on the podcast last episode that we wanted the the Polish one. Yeah. But this is uh, With very, Apple. I, I can't believe that you found it. Because we were discussing I did find it and then I think we might have found it and done an episode with them years ago, but I, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of mega so cans. This is a, a Grasowska vodka apple soda, the famous Polish vodka Grasowska. Uh, bison grass flavored. Mm. It's got a special taste. Has everyone uh, had it? It was very trendy a while ago in the way that Aperol spritzes. Yeah. And I believe in Poland, they often drink it with apple juice and it is called a, what is it called? A tatanka? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> you mean a bison in Polish? The the one with the mixture with the apple. Well, the the original one is called Żobrowka, but probably nobody would be able to pronounce it or even read oh, it. Yeah. That's so why they, they turned it into Grasowka. They, they call it Grasowka. <laughs> yeah, it's the one with the grass in it, you idiot, so you can't remember how to properly pronounce it. I got yeah. introduced... Oh, sorry, that's really loud. I got introduced to Żobrowka... Uh, Żobrowka? Close uh-huh. enough. By... Uh, the first people I m- met when I was working on uh, my first cruise ship as a musician, and the Polish uh, were my uh, next door neighbours in our little cubbyhole uh, bunk bedrooms, and they were in the the classical trio. And I was shit scared because I didn't know what I was doing there. And they just came and said, "Drink this." So what is it? Jabrowka and apple juice. Drink. <laughs> I was like. You're going to be good friends of mine. <laughs> um, and speaking of good friends, I am. I'm. I'm so happy that I'm holding uh, this can because this is a relic of the past. Um, I've been saying that this is reminding me of I'm rereading the road because I'm teaching it. Uh, but if anyone has read the road or seen it, Cormac McCarthy's post-apocalyptic masterpiece. Um, they find this can of cola as a sort of relic and, and symbol of the past. Um, and as we know, amongst many terrible things that have become normalized in our current climate, uh, the Gordon's Gin and Tonic Mega Can has been reduced with absolutely no consultation with the public or experts from 330 mils to one of these skinny, hold it up, hold hold it up so we can all glare at it. Look at that. I 250 mils, same price, and it's one of these skinny cans, which I don't like, because they're trying to be something they're not. It. Oh, anyway, but one of our lovely, lovely, lovely audience members brought me one that she had found, and <laughs> it was already chilled, and like, what, what are things do? Because I've been going on and on and on about them. I, ca- I cannot t- thank you so much. <laughs> all right. Without further ado. Wait, you got to introduce the other cans. All of. Th- well, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, guests. we can do we can do the guest cans. Okay. So I'm I'm drinking the Tennessee whiskey, perfectly mixed with ginger. It is. It's it's an absolute banger. It's it's one of your favorites. I'm isn't excited. It? Favorites, I'm excited. Especially in the colder weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ginger, it's yeah. one of your winter yeah. ones. It's a winter one. Um. Yeah. You also like the Lynchburg Lemonade, which I think someone has somewhere. It's also a very nice one. Who's got a Lynchburg Lemonade? There he is. Ash has got one. Good. <laughs> uh, yes, and I'm drinking Tennessee whiskey perfectly mixed with cola. 
which is like my favorite summer drink. Oh, mm. that's excellent. It also matches your outfit, which I'm really happy about because we didn't plan yes, that. It does. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that is what I would consider like the OG mega. Like that's your, that's, yeah, that's that's the sort of classic mega can, I think. It might have been the first one. Is it the sugar that hits you first or the... <laughs> I don't like know the first both, of, yeah. I think both at the same time. Yeah. I think that's the magic of it. It mm. is, it is. It's mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it is a bit of an acquired an acquired taste. Um yeah. The first time I ever had a mega can, it was in the queue for bar twenty five at like four in the morning and it was one of those that someone had got from the petrol station. And I was like, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever tasted. <laughs> <laughs> and I like set it down because, you know, I was like twenty three and obviously an idiot. And this is where life leads you, everybody. So <laughs> here we go. Um, cheers. A mass yes. opening. Cheers. Man. That was such a great sound. Oh, I'm so happy. Yum. This Yum. has been Yum. Yum. such a rough weekend. Mm. And now this is happening. It has oh, been a heavy, heavy news weekend. It's been one of those weekends that thrashes you over the head like five times with yeah. a with a concrete spade mm-hmm. and then it's like i'm coming for you next weekend as well i know horrible weekend yeah yeah and i bet you're not even an irish rugby fan like <laughs> some of us so it's like really bad come on uh, in Wales, there's so there's uh there's seats yeah. come on in oh, i think they should have booked us a bigger room should have brought more megas. I feel awful. I feel I'm, I'm having like an Irish person's thing of like, there's people in the room with no drinks. <laughs> <laughs> but like, obviously, if you are t- listening to us talking about a thing and, and need some kind of refreshment, feel free to go and go and do that. You're all grown ups. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. You made a film. Yeah. And it's amazing. Thank you. Oh, well, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about because you're not a filmmaker. You're a no. you're a journalist. Yeah. By trade. So what what happened? How did, how did you get here? Uh, basically, I had a kind of midlife crisis, and I wanted to. Um, and I just thought I better do something, and I was uh, and one of the articles that I was writing at the time because I write a lot about German politics, as you know. And uh, one of the articles I was writing at the time was about the uh, Reichsburger and especially the Hannibal Network. Have you heard of them? The yeah, because you insist on talking to me about <laughs> these fucking things. So that was like an, <laughs> an underground... Against my will, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe not everybody does, so... Yeah, so that was about five years ago. And that was when they were uncovered. And it was like an underground network of neo-Nazis and assorted conspiracy theorists who were um, collecting guns and food and they there was like really dark stories about how they'd stockpiled body bags and they were preparing according to a lot of um, text messages that came out at the time uh, that they that they discovered that they were preparing for what they called a day X and and then it suddenly began like a couple of days uh, a couple of days later the interior minister at the time of Germany um, said um, uh, we are going to update the list of people who are being watched by the Verfassungsschutz, the domestic intelligence agency that watches extremists across Germany. Um, and we're going to include on this list preppers, uh, as in people preparing for 
um, you know, like just people who who want to bring down uh, the government, and they they consider this list is supposed to be a list of groups of extremists who think about um, who, who are a threat to German democracy and order. So I started getting interested in this group then. I interviewed a couple of them, and of course they were very outraged, and they said, you know, we're not all weirdos and, and Nazis and stuff. And I kind of kind of got more and more into it, and. Um, and because I kind I, I and I was looking for something to make a film about, and I thought oh, it would be interesting to make a film about these kinds of people, because you know, I thought at first when I started making the film, I thought oh, it would just be a funny film about um, you know people worried about the end of the world, and it won't be that real. That'll be hilarious. But then of course you get into it, and uh, you start realizing the things that they are fearing are actually quite rational, and they're not all. You don't have to be right wing to worry about the end of the world, as we found out more and more recently, uh, uh, especially over the last five years. And then I started getting into um, the, the, the different uh, climate movements that were uh, talking about this stuff, and especially Extinction Rebellion, because that, that sort of started around the same time. And that obviously, even the name of the group already suggests something. You know, it's got, they've got the, the phrase extinction, or the word extinction in their name. So that means they're already thinking in that at that level of of catastrophe. They're already thinking about a, 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 a global catastrophe that will mean that something really, really bad is going to happen. So it's like, it's like how do you define how bad that is? And yeah, and it kind of, it, I mean, it's probably there's probably like too much in the film now, now because this kind of gets it, it goes really it goes much further. And it took me like four years to make because I kept going on different trips and finding other people to interview and it was like I spent two years just trying to um, get it down into 90 minutes that you could you know that would be that any a, a normal human being could sit and watch <laughs> and um, so that's kind of like how it all came about was this you know I had this idea that it would be uh, you know yeah, the idea that we have of preppers is obviously um, these these Americans who who hoard guns, but now and now it's become quite mainstream. That that culture has become quite mainstream, and it is not just a right wing Nazi thing. And that's sort of what it is. That's how it all came together, really. Yeah. Have a drink. Have a drink. Have a drink. <laughs> um, and. I've seen the film several times now, and it's wonderful. Um, and I uh, find it obviously quite kind of very funny. It is it is still funny, um, but maybe not the hilarious like laugh. Yeah, it's a sort of yeah, <laughs> laugh you marathon of, you had envisioned people, before your midlife crisis. <laughs> but <laughs> people laugh kind of. <laughs> That's the, kind of, that's the kind of laugh they do. I've never laughed like that in my life. <laughs> kind of like, uh, but, um, it's like a nervous laugh. Yeah. I, <laughs> I also find it very, like, uh, insightful and moving and informative, but also it did kind of, like, help me in some ways. Um, I think maybe we're in a process of shifting, like, like our our thinking about the climate and our climate anxiety, maybe for one for want of a better phrase. Um, and we sort of wanted to ask Izzy and and Maria, like, what this is the first time you've seen the film. Do you want to go first, Izzy? 
Um, yeah, so the, yeah, it's the first time I've seen it. And um, firstly, it was really moving like I think that was one of the things that really stood out to me was that it's it sort of it brings you in with this comedy at the beginning so it's like laugh 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 and it's just hilarious at the beginning and then it draws you in makes you emotionally vulnerable and then kicks you in the stomach and you're just like oh my god um but it I thought it was moving in a way that kind of helped me process my own climate grief I guess for want of a word and there was a lot of sense of these people have kind of accepted something that maybe I need to accept and my day job working in a climate think tank is perhaps my own form of like hamster wheel like keeping myself busy whilst the apocalypse is kind of feeling more and more inevitable and um and and just sort of accepting that that like what my day job is doing is like trying to create policy that the German government will hopefully take up in order to uh, bring down carbon emissions. Now that hasn't worked in the 50 years that we've known about the climate crisis. What makes me think that my little research projects and papers are going to suddenly turn around 50 years of literally direct, you know, we're just, we know about it. We know it's happening. We know it's going to happen. We know climate collapse is absolutely appalling it's going to really ruin human society but we're still going to charge ahead charge ahead charge what makes me think it's kind of mad to think that i spend my days you know 35 hours a week away from my kids to uh to write sort of policy papers that are never going to get you know it's sort of like yeah i think it's i think it's that acceptance of like I'm on this hamster wheel, sort of keep myself busy and put money in my in my bank account, but I don't have any hope that it's going to help things. And presumably you haven't <laughs> always felt that way. Has this been like a gradual shift from climate, like being committed to the, like from wherever it was to what you're now calling like climate grief? I think this government has been more disappointing than anything than than things that have come before you know you sort of you elect like a so-called progressive government you have like two so-called progressive parties in it the SPD and the and the Greens who want to make change and and you get also like a, a good start with that with the with the coalition agreement as well not to get too deep into German politics because that's kind of not really what we want to what we want to do here we want to talk about the film but I think that's been quite depressing, just watching that play out and seeing that silly, ignorant, non-information-based, non-fact-based, foolish and really short-sighted electioneering by the smallest party and also the SPD as well. We can't have, have a single fucking episode without that Fuck Christian Lindner, can we? <laughs> we've even shown a film. We've done a whole thing. We've changed the format. We've got a thing and he's still here. Yeah. He really bums me out. He's really bummed me <laughs> out. I don't know. Maybe he's pushed me over the edge from being like, we could do something to being it's like, no, nah, it's done. Hey, I, anyway, uh, Maria. Well, I love the, I love the film and yeah, it was hilarious. And at the same time, really uh, like, moving some like very deep chords or something and one thing that uh, really struck me was uh, the timing and that it ended with the pandemic and that it covered the time that was that led up to the pandemic like 2018 and 2019 which was also the time when i started to be interested in to do some research on climate and to realize 
how bad it really is <laughs> and that uh, basically <clears throat> The change has already happened, but also it was uh, it was a time of uh, like uh, big mobiliza- uh, mobilizations in Poland because there were those IPCC uh, reports that came out. It became like a bigger topic in a wider society, not just in the activist circles. And then uh, and then it all stopped with the pandemic because the pandemic uh, kind of uh, killed lots of organizing that was going on because suddenly people uh were busy like <laughs> hoarding <laughs> old flakes <laughs> like uh, trying to like all this energy went into uh some mutual health projects and i don't know sewing face masks or, or something like this so uh for me it was uh, it was really interesting to see uh how the pandemic uh, kind of showed that the preppers are prepared and everybody else is like has to like handle uh multiple crises and suddenly the topic of the climate is not the most uh, important one and then since 2020 the crisis started to pile up and uh, and because of the conservative government in Poland and so on and uh, the ban on abortion and hate uh, like hate campaigns and against LGBT people and the crisis on the Polish Belarusian border with uh, like refugees coming in and being pushed back and then the war in Ukraine and you know it's like the <laughs> when you think it's not getting any worse it does get worse yeah. uh, so the climate is like nobody has the time <laughs> for it anymore <laughs> Yeah. And uh, and uh, for me, it was really interesting to see that the like super individualistic conservative preppers—they're not Nazis, but they're like super conservative—and you can like see they're like building their own uh, little bunkers where they can hide their own, you know, like normative heterosexual uh, family unit <laughs> and uh, not really care about any wider. Uh, you know issues that uh, somehow this was this was what kind of hit me when I watched it like three years after uh, the lockdowns and everything that you know all the social energy that was going into the climate kind of dispersed and everybody's just tired and the preppers are still preppers you know they're like still there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, mean, I didn't even want to sound so pessimistic, but it's like <laughs> super. Like, everyone keep drinking. <laughs> I, I need a sip. <laughs> um, and has your relationship to like climate activism changed? Then, like, do you still consider yourself? You say sort of like an occasional. Yeah, I was very involved in uh, before the pandemic for the like two or three years before the pandemic and <clears throat> i was involved in uh like several initiatives and uh, some of them were like union initiatives we were trying to uh like, like make climate a working class issue and some of them were more like performance things and like i was part of this uh collective that also like fell apart during the pandemic, which was called interspecies community. And we wanted to create like a religion 
uh, because religions in Poland have like very strong legal standing. So we wanted to like create a cult and register it and use it to to protect the environment. And we had some very uh, yeah very interesting and powerful rituals, and uh, they were about hope, but about for me they were about hope that is not based on survival, and definitely not about human survival mm -hmm. but uh, hope that allows you to like what your film is also about uh, to like face death and be okay with it and uh, but then the pandemic came and i uh, i wasn't active anymore and also i went through all those stages of grief i was like uh at first I was scared and then I was depressed and then I started like try to do something. But then what I, and this is also one of my questions maybe for you. How do you feel like now after you finished the movie? Because for me, the experience was that, you know, you grieve and then you move on. You know, there are like stages, it's a process. But then it's over and I feel like I'm over it. I like went through it, I did something, I wrote something, I like processed it. And now I'm in some other place. But this is still happening. And <laughs> it's a very, <laughs> very yeah. uncanny situation. Oh yeah, no, exactly. I mean it really helps if you're if if you have um things that you're worried about to make a whole film about it. Uh it does like <laughs> It gets it all out. Right? Yeah. It gets it out of your system. So yeah. where are you now? If you start a religion, <laughs> you two, I'm fucking in. This is class. <laughs> Let's what do it. Mega cans are going to play a big role. That can be, I can do like the, the communion. The, the sacrament. Of the You've all joined a cult, everyone. Congratulations. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. I don't know why I wasn't, I finished. I mean, uh, yeah, I'd, uh, <laughs> I... No, I mean, yeah, it did. It, it, uh, now, when I watch the film now, it's like much more distance for me. It's like it's like watching another person. It doesn't like, it, it, and I mean, I'm not like it, I wasn't exaggerating in the film. Like, I did have anxieties like that when I started making the film, and I could understand. I was looking. I was certainly looking for people who had the same anxieties, but the the kind of arc that you see in the film, where it kind of becomes, it kind of ends up me sitting in a tent in 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 a, in a teepee in in norway and uh and she just says stop worrying you know we've been through all this before you know i mean this is you know and i think that was uh that is kind of real i mean that is sort of how i kind of ended up yeah now i've got to find another trauma to make a film about but yeah that's all i really i really resonate with that as well actually like as someone who comes from a, a history background i think when i get very overwhelmed by thinking about the future and collapse and how societies will or or the sort of like possibility that human civilization is kind of coming to an end and i kind of i guess it, in your film you interview um mr gosh who wrote uh the great derangement and he's kind of looking at the past and the present and not really, he's like, I'm, I'm, I don't know about the future, but he looks at the past and the present and tries to analyze where we are based on where we've come from. And I find it very comforting in a way to think about the fact that humans have managed to get this far um, and always managed to find a way to, to survive and to build incredible things. And we've seen that, you know, two, three generations ago 
what I mean the whole of this continent was basically in rubble because of some crazy fucking lunatics uh, who stole the narrative and made millions of people follow them and Our yet cult will not be like that it'll be good <laughs> it'll be fine and no one will be in rubble <laughs> uh, but you know out of that came amazing institutions that gave us like 70 years of peace in this part of the world you know so I think like at the same time like I try to look to history to try and be a bit more comforting and think like that it's not you know humans do have an incredible capacity to recreate and to build something better than there was before mm. so I liked that part of your film good good. Can we, can we just stand on that note that really nice um do you so what then I guess if we work through our because I also think that and I think you make this point in the film like the anxiety and the panic is very real and very justifiable and 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 very natural but it also doesn't get us anywhere really like if we're panicking I can't I don't know like it's a very it's a paralyzing kind of emotion um and is there then what happens to activism or what happens to those of us who do kind of want to make some kind of difference after we, does acceptance then just mean like going to go to the beach and wait? Like those people, I always think of that scene, do you remember um, Independence Day? And there was like all the different ways people were reacting to the end of the world and that like rave that's happening on the top of the roof. I'm like, oh, always an option. <laughs> um, like what happens to activism after this kind of like acceptance? Do we still keep? Well, I think, yeah. Well, I think that's because, because I, I think that the whole point is you're not supposed to just give up. I mean, I think that the, the idea that like all the people, the, especially the Good Grief Network, which is this this group who are, um, who are helping climate activists specifically and they have this program, and they, and they're 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 just they're just helping activists to um, sort of psychologically, and I think that's a big part of Extinction Rebellion, as what well, from what I understand, is that they were also they were also not just doing the, the demos and the blocking the streets and all that stuff, but also having these workshops and and helping each other and, and building communities and trying to figure out you know how we're going to carry on. I think that's like. I think it's kind of it's a it's a it's kind of a deeper kind of activism. I think is what the idea of it of Extinction Rebellion was, and I think that that's what like I don't want people to um, come out of the film thinking, um, oh, you know, we're all going to die, so we better you know might as well just rave, cans in. rave on the roof. I think that like it it doesn't mean I that feel we should, could have both like you, both things. Yeah, it doesn't mean that you should live a meaningless <laughs> life. Is the idea you shouldn't yeah. just you know you shouldn't just um, throw yourself into hedonism. I think that's kind of, um, it, I think that's what the people in the film would say. I mean, I think that's what they're that's, that's what they're dealing with, right? Like you can still do stuff, and it's not meaningless if, to do stuff to help. Yeah, and I think it's also worth bearing in mind that um, in terms of like right wing ideology, like right wing ideology, when you take it to the absolute extremes, could not have created a better wingman than the climate crisis letting the cri climate crisis play out is basically what right-wing ideology wants to do but they'd have to work to create the institutions that would do what the climate crisis is doing anyway murdering 
poor people, um, vulnerable people, people who, you know, Western white imperialist countries have made poor over millennia or over, sorry, hundreds of years are now being whacked by the climate crisis um, in a way that literally right wing people could not have created a more effective pinpoint precise wingman and as we're seeing now we're seeing sort of like the the fallout of climate collapse and watching things like in Arizona you know 50 days of constant over 100 Fahrenheit weather who does that affect most it affects the people who don't have access to an air conditioning system and those are the people who are going to die the quickest within the first weeks of any kind of crisis like that so in order for the right wing to kind of get their dreams and get their ideological missions achieved, they don't have to do anything. They literally just have to sit back and cause sort of enough ideological chaos that no one really knows what to do until things play out in their way anyway. On the left, on the other hand, progressives, we have to work, we have to build, we have to constantly argue and try to affect our own missions and our own way of doing things and our own kind of morals and and fight amongst each other as to what the best institutions would be and what the best mechanisms of trying to cause the greatest benefit to the largest amount of people. It, that takes so much more work. And I think progressives are best placed to help out societies in a crisis, but tend to get elected when everyone's sort of fat and happy and like, yeah, let's try a bit of socialism because fuck it, like. <laughs> I've got an extra couple of roles, so like <laughs> I could do with a socialist government, but we don't tend to get elected in the times when we could really do the most good. Um, so I think that's worth bearing in mind. So rather than sort of, I think right now, accepting for me that the climate crisis is here, we can't really stop 1.5, but fighting for every point of degrees is worth it. And also fighting to own the crisis, you know, fighting to be the ones in power during the big fallout um, so that we don't sort of like fall under what is the easiest path, which is fascist autocracy. Yeah, I think it's really important to see it as one of the crises because we often tend to look at the climate crisis as something separate from the crisis that is capitalism and patriarchy and colonialism and stuff. So it was really interesting to see you know Amitav Ghosh in your movie at the end uh, saying that it's like you know it just uh, white people's anxiety yeah. it's just like calm down was, <laughs> Jesus Christ yeah and uh, because in at at some level I think it is and I think also that the narrative of like climate anxiety is a very particular one because uh there's this guy in the movie who teaches you how to shoot from a bow and do stuff. And he says that the moment the crisis hits, everybody's on their own and they have to fight everybody else, everybody else which is so untrue. And it's such a white straight guy perspective because, you know, I research, have no community because I didn't bother building one. You know? <laughs> yeah. We have like data to prove it that it's not like this, that when a crisis hits, people organize and do things together and help each other. And it's like, it's happening everywhere. And there's this book by Rebecca Solnik, uh, Hope in the Dark, but I could also see it in Poland during those like uh, 
crisis that were piling up that's you know there was this uh, really strong movement to protect the Białowieża forest which is the oldest forest in Europe like the the only one the only remaining primeval forest in like uh, that is not in the mountains and there were attempts to like cut it down some like some parts of it and there was this very strong uh like activist community and people coming to protect it in i think 2016 or something and then in 2021 there was this you know in this forest there were thousands of refugees trying to cross the border and there was like a militarized zone like the military and border guards pushing them back to belarus and so on and suddenly like everybody just you know every all the structures were in place. They were just, uh, you know, used for a different purpose because suddenly uh, there were those people in the forest who needed to, like, be rescued or something. And the activists knew the forest and had, like, bases and had structures and had, like, the know-how how to move around the forest. So it was just, like, a structure that changed purpose because a new crisis hit. But uh, it was... Uh, for me, it was an example of like an amazing, spontaneous cooperation of all different kinds of people just coming together to like get people out of the forest. And uh, it happens all the time. It's the same with abortion. Like abortion has been banned in Poland, and now you have collectives of women who provide abortion and organize trips to Berlin to uh, for women who need them, and so on. It's and it's like an um, enormous network of women doing this. So I I really believe in like horizontal and grassroots structures that emerge and like save the day when the actual crisis hits. And I think those <laughs> the preppers in your story are like living some kind of fantasy <laughs> that is very gendered and very racialized and very I would actually be interested what's your take on it like what are your thoughts what's what's wrong with no white, white man guy? <laughs> <laughs> let's go I'm loving this <laughs> explain yourself why it's an, no 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 not explain yourself it's an honest question I yeah, think no, like after um, doing this you must have like some really interesting thoughts um where to start yeah uh so yeah, it's really true that the, the 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 when you if you Google preppers and you look for preppers because that's what I did. I went on Facebook especially and I found prepper groups on Facebook, and they are very you know white male dominated areas. Don't see a lot of female preppers. They do exist, but not then. It's not not as many. Um, no, I mean I totally. I mean I I do agree. That's the that's that's the the, the whole the. The the, the 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 juxtaposition of the kind of the, the, the individualistic prepping and there's a community-based prepping and there's different ways of prepping and it's not it's not just one thing and I think that I mean Jane Dwinell who's the the lady in the garden uh, she's the one who he, she's she, she's she would probably also call herself a kind of prepper but she's not a traditional prepper in the way you'd think of it and uh, I, yeah so I think. What do I think? Uh, 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 I think that they, um, well, they just the, the, that's just how that's just, that's just how it is. I mean, uh, yeah. The the the, the reason like Amitav Ghosh was a big deal for me because when I read that book, I thought, oh yeah. And then when he and I got him to actually say that is normally the 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 
is the white guys were about it is the that was um that kind of made me change the whole ending of the film and made the film then i had then i realized i have to find some indigenous people because he said uh, he actually said to me after the interview he said you can't make this film um without indigenous people in it and um so i think oh shit i've got to go and find something and then uh and then so I was going to go to Canada at first, but I couldn't because of the um, lockdown and COVID. So I went to the only ones that were left in Europe, which was the Sami people in northern Norway. And they have this. Uh, they, and so and that was just like driving around for ages trying to find someone. And someone told me there was a shaman living in this house. Um, sorry, that isn't really that's not really relevant. Um, so the point was that, yeah, the the it, I, I think the point is that it's a, it's a luxury to worry about the future and i think that's why and it's people on the on the inside of the of of i'm just going to say it's like an empire you know like this if you if you think of the sort of, of the white america and europe and western europe as an empire which it kind of is still uh it's, it's they're the ones that they're they're the ones that have the luxury of worrying about the of, of losing their power and what they yeah well that's what they're really worried about is losing their power and um uh, and and that's all that and that is a that is something that you find in all empires throughout history they're all worried about the end of of the, of, uh, the end of the world they're, but what they really mean is the end of the empire um and and yeah there's uh so, and there's a, there's, a lot, there's a lot of literature about that stuff about like the the, the the how the literature of the apocalypse is sort of mirrors the literature of um, empires falling um is that answer your question <laughs> i think so yes thank okay. you okay i'm delighted i thought this was going to be really really depressing <laughs> to be okay, honest okay. <laughs> Because um, we're talking about like climate grief and and all of this, but actually, I feel. I mean, I don't feel good about it. It's not good. <laughs> um, and it obviously like disproportionately affects like vulnerable people, global south, like all of that kind of stuff. But I I do also think that a lot of the anxiety about it then that we're that we're fed is is maybe this kind of fear of loss of empire and and also this narrative of like when the shit really hits the fan you're on your own it's just you um and like your family trying to make it through a world of people who are trying to kill you and eat you um I don't know why I teach. I'm I'm a teacher. For anyone who doesn't know, I teach the road this time every November. When the weather changes, we start the road, and like it's so beautifully written and it's so gorgeous. But it is just um, and very indicative of, of of a lot of the. And we do, I think, also get a lot of because we are. Um, and we've talked a lot about narrative or mentioned narrative. Um, and 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 we are human. We are story kind of telling machines and we build our reality based on the stories that we tell and a lot of our sort of fears around this comes from like dystopian fiction post-apocalyptic fiction and that kind of idea that that is what it's going to be um and a lot of that is is like white male driven i don't know that's but not your film you're breaking the mold (laughs) and i love it okay Few. Um, <laughs> do we? We can't do this in in what it's just me. Um, yeah, I'm quite drunk. 
<laughs> just like turn my head around, you know, a bit like when you stand up. Would, would, are you going to ask the audience if yeah. they have a question? Would anyone like to ask a question to join the discussion? No? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yes. I have a question. You can ask about anything okay. within reason. Can you give her your mic? I can give you your, my mic. Hang on. Oh, God, can I stand up? Right, you're going to have to move for it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just, you, you can come. Okay. So we'll um, edit this bit out. Okay. Hi. <laughs> so um, I love the film. It was really funny and and it was great. And I love the fact that it um, finished on a really positive note of like, so this civilization collapses, who cares? Mm. Like, which, oh. I th which I really liked. <laughs> um, but actually, my question relates back particularly for Izzy, um, having been at the Radio Spätkauf recording this morning and seeing the Letzkanikation people talking about everyone getting arrested. And so seeing that, like hearing that and then seeing this. And for those of us who perhaps for various reasons are not in a position to be arrested because we're not citizens or can't do that for work purposes, um, how, can, how do we contribute or do something that actually makes a difference? like the, that we could do kind of as an activist thing that is that still that still feels like contributing um so yeah that's a, a that's an amazing question, question. Yeah. that's an amazing question um and i think obviously like the simple answer would be like try to build community wherever you can but i think the thing that i'm really gravitating towards at the moment more and more is that um we already have all the answers, um, especially if you're sort of like someone on the left and someone who, you know, f follows and wants to promote progressive values and progressive ideas. I think fat, happy societies make good decisions in a way that people who are insecure and feel a sense of constant worry will gravitate towards the simplest answer because it's someone telling them that everything is going to be okay. Um, so I think simple answers to complex problems, which the right tend to offer and fascism tends to give out like candy, is something that an insecure population will gravitate towards easily. So I think that if you are, you know, I think the, the one of the most incredible movements of the past like 10 years has been the Black Lives Matter movement, which I think has done more to promote climate action than any other movement that has been created. And the reason I say that is because Black Lives Matter has really woken up the world to the fact that, you know, these these are populations or we are populations, we are living amongst populations who are systematically disenfranchised. And that is what the climate crisis does. It systematically targets people who are in the weakest position to be able to fight against it. So I think in order to fight the climate crisis the most effectively, you've got to do what you can in your community to make people fat and happy. So like build back the welfare state, you know, like down to neoliberalism, vote for progressive parties, workers' rights, everyone join a fucking union. Like Join your union tomorrow if you haven't already. Everyone, 80% workforce in unions means that we will have way better wages, way better working conditions. We will become fat and happy and able to make good decisions about things like the climate that won't feel like 
the extra stress, the extra pressure that we just cannot take because we've got too many other crises to deal with. So I think creating fat, happy populations is the way <laughs> that you uh, that you com combat the climate crisis. And, um, and that means essentially just going back to basics, workers' rights, welfare state, housing for all, stuff that we're already doing. So I think the answer is, if you're already fighting for those progressive values, then you're already doing enough. And just keep doing it. If that helps. Woo! I, I know! I love having Izzy on the podcast because I always just started going, look at her go. <laughs> <sighs> it's amazing. It's a mega. I know, I know. It is, it is a good, it's a good... Uh... Any other questions? You can ask these questions. Come on. Got, I'm also a teacher, anything. so I can wait for ages for hands <laughs> to go off. We could do this. I could honestly do this for 20 minutes. Really? You just, you do, what do you do in a class if no one asks a question? Do you, do you just, you say, wait, we can wait. How do you, you, just, you just wait. You just like, we can wait. Like, you think you're going to have break time? Education yeah, is not something that's being coming. done to you. I'm not Netflix. Come along, come <laughs> along, children. Hands up. But also, you're grown-ups, and uh, that would <laughs> no be inappropriate. No one's leaving until someone asks a question. <laughs> no one's having lunch. Yeah. Oh. oh God. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to get down in this chair. Uh, thanks. I have a different, not specifically climate-related question. What do you think the FDP, boo, is going to do um, now with their shitty election numbers? <laughs> yeah, thank you very much that's a lovely question thank you uh okay so the fdp so we should explain they're the free democratic party they're the, the smallest party in the german coalition government and they've become famous in the last couple of years for basically blocking everything that the government is trying to do they're like a kind of opposition party from within and um, they don't seem to fucking understand anything like you fucking agreed to it boys you might not like yeah. it but like you so they're ideologically they're traditionally sort of neoliberal you'd say free market kind of party. fucking business boy wankers but they they joined this center-left coalition <laughs> this is very much the dynamic of the normal podcast <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which is uh, good. I'm really enjoying this because usually I don't feel like comfortable enough to. I don't know. So what are they? Uh, yeah. I, maybe it is. I know. I think we should always do it in these couches. I really like we it. We do them in the armchair in your. Yeah. This is very much. I anyway. think this is like your living room. Yeah. Sorry. Well, let's get back to the question. <laughs> <laughs> so, the uh, so they keep blocking everything, and the. the the reason is because they keep losing more and more votes and it's obviously not working. Their plan is because they think that, uh, I, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. They're probably just going to keep keep um, keep doing what they're doing because they think that, they, that it's the only way that they can rescue their party because they keep losing more and more votes because no one um, in the regional elections is voting for them. And um, I've, I mean, they'll just... Maybe they'll just disappear. I think it's going to send us back into s more years of CDU and conservative government in Germany because they have, you know, obviously, like, I'm not completely absolving the Greens and SPD of responsibility within this. They're also in the ample. But the FTP are making it incredibly difficult. And I feel like they... 
if you just stand for like being business and being free market and then you actually realize that that's essentially meaningless and it doesn't and then I think a lot of people who voted them were more right wing than maybe anyone really wanted to admit and then now that they're not like enacting they're in in government with supposedly progressive parties we're just going to go back to like a, at the best a grow call uh, we're going to lose any chance that we had of like more progressive stuff in Germany the Greens are going to take the fall for it but it's fine because we're going to start like a weird wildly successful cult with Izzy as our like front woman <laughs> And everyone's going to vote for us. And we'll also, so, yeah. So I was just, I, I played witness to um, a particularly messed up sort of like the family row that went public like last, last week um, over something that should never have gained anyone's attention whatsoever apart from like, you know, that one think tanker who works on like Euler Hermes, the export credit agency, like in each think tank. Um, and so ex export I work on export credit agencies as well as other things and um, they were about to change their policies so that um, essentially they could cut out funding for fossil fuels and move funding more into like green technology so like yay and the policy is a little bit complicated and you know campaigners would say that we didn't get everything that we wanted but at the same time it's much more in the direction of like an export credit agency that is trying to do more good than bad in terms of climate and this week, this has all been, this is six month process. This has gone through like, um, it's gone through like public consultation. It's been okayed by all of the ministries. It's like, it's at the final stage, the final stage. And on Wednesday last week, the conservatives <laughs> put forward an emergency question. Emergency question, guys. These export credit agency new rules are going to fuck up trade completely. You know, like, can, like, classic conservative hysteria over um, these new export credit uh, rules and the FDP and the SPD who also did really badly in last week's state elections both voted with the CDU <laughs> to send it back to an expert committee because they were thinking that they were going to get some good headlines in the build cycle. But the story continues. The Greens, then the next day on Thursday, Habeck comes out in a trade fair. He basically says, so we've got these great new policies, guys. And everyone's like, wait a, se wait, wait a second. We saw what happened in the Bundestag yesterday. Don't you have to send it back to expert committee? He's like, no, 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 no. And then as campaigners, like a lot of campaigners got this email on Friday saying, the expert committee is going to, convene in 2025 until then these new guidelines are going to be in force so it's kind of it's just like you guys what the hell is going on in there it is complete chaos and the fdp thinks that it's going to get votes by creating this chaos but really they just look unsound they look deranged they look like they can't run government they look like they can't govern and the spd is learning from them I think that's what's terrifying is the SPD is now learning from them and also is now looking incapable of governing, you know? So, yeah, I mean, GroKo is all we can hope for. <laughs> I think that is 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 a good place. Thank you very much to our guests. Is there anything that you want to say? Like, final words, do you have anything to plug? What should people do? What, what I'm not telling anyone what to do, and I, ha I have no final words. <laughs> I'm not dying yet. 
Uh, I do have a plug, actually. Yeah. Um, so I am also a co-host on Radio Spätkampf. So if you're not listening already to Radio Spätkampf, then please do sign up to that. We also we talk about Berlin news in English, so we don't just talk about Germany news. Imagine this, but sober, <laughs> but with jokes, like really well researched. Um, <laughs> and as a spin-off series, I with uh, a colleague of mine, Anna Marie Harrison, have created a show called Sticking Point, and that is a four-part though we potentially might do a fifth part as well um so a four-part series on the german climate movement um and it's called germany's climate voices and the idea is to kind of like give you a sense of the german climate movement how they've changed over the years and uh whether they've been effective or not and um trying to understand where it's taking us in the future and we can listen to that now you can listen to two episodes now uh the third episode is actually coming out later this week exciting exciting and we're going to have a, an, a very long form interview with um someone from let's generation so last generation so really like dig into the weeds on are they radical are they not um are their demands radical are their tactics radical like really go back to thinking about the 1970s and the bombing campaigns that happened and try to understand like whether these climate activists today are are what we would consider to be radical in terms of in terms of that history yeah i've listened to it it's really good I can definitely recommend it. Yeah, Izzy knows everyone. Izzy knows all the activists. Yeah. I know a few. <laughs> the good ones. Expert on yeah. So definitely listen to that. Have we got anything to plug? Well, everyone's here. <laughs> this is the thing. They probably know about our podcast already, or they've just saying in the back going, What the fuck is happening? <laughs> we're sat in a hot room. It's so hot in here. And this woman, what is she talking about? Someone's shouting at the front. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. It's a podcast. You can listen to it on, uh, what is it? <laughs> on Spotify. I just show up with the cans. <laughs> I just wanted to thank everyone very much for coming. This has actually been a really lovely experience. I usually like die in a heap of anxiety at live shows because I can't like control everything. Um, and yes, it's it's been good. We've had a lot of laughs and I don't think we need to like make light of stuff ever. But I will say one thing, because I'm doing a lot of like apocalyptic stuff, talking about whatever. We don't always get the predictions of the future, I think, entirely right, because they're very short on laughs. And I think laughter is important and humor is important and building community and all of those things and if we can take this as like a little microcosm of what could be maybe possible that would be that would be good so thank you all very much for coming i'm gonna stop talking i've obviously had a bit of a cheers to that all right eden
your fucking <laughs> decadent pictures in your newspapers. What's that, a crossword puzzle? Oh, no wonder you had Trump. Jesus Christ, everyone, like, there's a middle ground. Oh, Just a wee picture, maybe a, you know, a diagram. Cheers. 